Find the answers to questions you may or may not have asked yourself here at Kaleidoscience, Conversations on Cognitive Science, hosted by Elisa Palmer and Sönke Löw. I think most people nowadays are aware that mental health is really important for us and sooner or later many people face the question of how to improve their own well-being. I feel like during the COVID lockdowns the question of how to improve well-being or general mental health matters came more into the focus of the general public discourse. And I also personally realized that losing routines or structures I had has a quite huge influence which I did not estimate before. I've heard that there is something called positive psychology which in contradiction to classical psychology has more the focus on what we can do to improve our well-being and to improve how people feel in a positive way rather than treating disease. Today's guest is um, an expert on well-being and her name is Patricia Groß. She did her bachelor's in cognitive science at the University of Osnabrück, currently is a master's student and has written her bachelor's thesis on the topic of well-being. She started or she initiated later a study project at the university on the topic of well-being and is currently working on a project on life satisfaction with Johannes Hirata at the University of Applied Sciences in Osnabrück. She further is an active member in Effective Altruism and the International Positive Psychology Association. Welcome at our podcast and I'm looking forward to talking to you today. Yeah, thanks for having me here. As always, we like to play a little welcome game to get to know our guests a little bit more. And uh, I will read you the start of five sentences. And uh, I would like you to complete those sentences in a spontaneous manner. Um, and yeah, I will start with the first sentence. As a kid, I always wanted to be. Oh, that's a tough one because it didn't really stay the same. Like during grammar school, in between, I just wanted to go to the circus because I really like to do all the fun stuff with being in the air and doing stuff upside down. Uh, then in between, there was a phase where I wanted to go into astrophysics because I wanted to understand the whole universe, how it started, um, what do we know and what else there is need to know. And then I finally realized that I don't need to understand the whole universe. I would be completely fine just understanding myself and human beings in general. And yeah, that was the point where I then come to go to cognitive science to reach that goal. Okay, nice. Uh, if I was an emoji, I would be? Oh, um, maybe the monkey with having the hands on the eyes. Okay. That's a solid one. <laughs> My favorite thing to do on the day off is? Being somewhere in the nature either at a sea or in the mountains. That's also a solid answer. Mm -hmm. I feel that a lot. <laughs> right now I'm most fascinated by... Oh. Uh, I can't say that. Okay. Uh, and the last one, I know it's time to call it a day when. I can't think in proper sentences anymore and nothing <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> All right, and then um, that was the welcome game. And now maybe a bit to your scientific background in your bachelor's. What were the main fields of interest for you? Mm, I think the main fields of interest were 
um, psychology and philosophy. All right. And did it stay the same during the masters or did it change? Mm, it somehow feels the same for the university courses. But I also realized that I want to have some, like, um, something comes out of my studies. And that was also the reason why I wanted to have in the study project more of an applied study project and not, ju not just uh, literature research, but also something where I see, okay, that's what I did. And therefore, I wanted to have a um, study project where we try to code the app. So that, I think, is neither philosophy, not psychology, but more into the, um, yeah, into the uh, computer science or maybe even AI field. Mm, yeah, you just mentioned um, the study project and that you were hoping to be able to code an app there. Can you maybe, for our listeners, quickly explain what the study project was about? Yes, so my original goal of a study project was like on a personal level to have something where I can have an applied thing and really see what I've conducted and in contrast to the other things I had before, um, not having like a theoretical outcome but a practical one. And in addition, there was like a personal frustration of there's so much knowledge out there about well-being in the positive science field and also in related fields. And it seems like barely people know about it. Like for myself, it was really hard to find all these findings. Mm -hmm. And um, some of them really can influence your life a lot. And you don't need to have a psychological diagnosis to use such treatments to improve your own well-being. And I wanted to like enable people who are interested in doing so to actually do so. It unfortunately quickly turns out that it was way too ambitious for a study project but that was the like um, overall intention and yeah we at least try to do parts of it within the study project. So the original idea was to kind of create an app if I'm not mistaken that people can use or where they get information quite easily on how to improve their well-being right? Yes and like in my dream vision it wouldn't just be the information they get but like practical steps and they like on the one side they should give you the scientific information on what um, the state in the literature is and in the science but also give you personal recommendations how you can make use of that oh, because okay. there yeah. are several so-called positive psychology interventions where people just exactly did that they look at okay what did the science say and then started um, to apply that in practice. Yeah, I feel like we already jumped quite into the topic. Um, before going deeper into the what people can do, can you maybe briefly explain what well-being is? Um, that's also a hard one because there's not even an agreement in the like scientific literature or among the scientists or the practitioners. It really depends on who you ask. Um, just one example um, that they don't even agree on the term well-being. Um, sometimes indistinguishly used as happiness or welfare. And especially within well-being, there's like a sm smaller discussion, not really serious, but there's no agreement whether you write it with a hyphen or not. So you can't say that there's that definition. We're not even like agreeing on which term we are talking about. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, what is somehow agreed is that there's something called subjective well-being. Mm -hmm. 
Um, the bed is like um, classified into the sum of all the positive emotions you have, um, minus the negative emotions you have, plus the life satisfaction. But many people agree that that's not all that matters. That is some part of well-being, but there is something in addition. But when it gets really a mess, like some often it is called eudaimonic well-being, mm -hmm. but there's this one paper which um, found that there are like 50 theories with more than seven, 60 definitions and understanding about eudaimonic well-being. So... Well, there's somehow agreement on subjective well-being, sometimes also called hedonic well-being. It gets messy when you go beyond this, and it's still like an ongoing um, process of defining well-being. You said a lot about the overall accepted definition that doesn't exist, but in your personal experience, do you think there is a difference between well-being and happiness? Yes, for me personally, happiness is more of a feeling or maybe an emotion. I'm not sure where exactly classify it there, while well-being is more encompassing. So happiness for me is one part of well-being. Makes sense, yes. When I think about happiness for me feels like I would feel it in my body, while well-being is more the steady ground where happiness can be on in a way. So like, When I would picture it, um, I would maybe explain it for me personally, and you can correct me if that's really going into a wrong direction from your perspective, but kind of well-being being the ground where everything is up one. And then, for example, um, really pleasant emotions such as happiness, um, love, or just gratitude as well, um, kind of grow on this state or on this basis. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's your, you say it's your personal thing, so it's, I can't say anything wrong about it either way, but I would say that fits um, good with many aspects, which, like, um, I would say, yeah. Yeah. When you talked about the definitions, uh, you've also mentioned um, another term I it got out of my mind. You mentioned that um, it's, when you read the formula, it's, um, Positive emotions minus negative emotions plus... Life satisfaction. Life satisfaction. Um, what is life satisfaction? Yeah, that's the crucial part of it. When you like defer it into smaller components, you still have to define the components. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, we don't have an like, official definition of that either. Okay. Um, as you mentioned in the beginning, I'm, I've worked or I'm still working with Johannes Rirata on a project about life satisfaction. And that's basically what we're trying to do to make a theoretical framework of what is life satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And um, for doing so, of course, I also looked into the literature whether there is such a definition and There are several ones, but um, and an aspect which many of them composes, which we also agree on, is that it has two components: one um, judgmental component and one aspirational component. Like in a way, in in a nutshell, we want to say that life satisfaction is how much your current aspirations are covered with your capabilities, which are what you can actually do. You look like that was way too abstract and doesn't yes. make sense. Can you maybe, or is there a way to break mm. it a bit down? Mm. So your life satisfaction depends on you as a person. As a person, you have like wishes, aspirations, things you are striving for and so on. 
And each person also has capabilities what to do in daily life. Mm-hmm. Um, and life satisfaction then depends on how your capabilities and what you are doing fits to your aspirations for once you want to achieve. So if I have the aspiration of um, climbing a huge mountain and I have capabilities to do so, I would be satisfied. Mm-hmm. If I have uh, aspirations of climbing the mountains but don't have the uh, capabilities, I would not be sat- um, satisfied. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so it's a bit about how congruent those two aspects are. Yes, that's what I wanted to conclude. So if I don't have the aspiration of climbing the mountain and don't have the capabilities, mm-hmm. I can still be satisfied. So uh, the point is that it's not enough to look at one of those things, just the aspirations or just the capabilities, but you need to match them and look about um, that That sounds plausible. Other than maybe interventions, you talked about them earlier, like positive psychology interventions that attack like both of these and somehow try to enable you to be um, to achieve your goals or maybe to uh, change your goals in a way that you are more able to achieve them. Or is that like our interventions then something completely different? Um, they are not completely different nor like fixed to that um, framework. Um, I would say that most of the positive psychology interventions are more on the um, aspiration aspect. For instance, uh, gratitude is like a really high topic at the moment um, or also appreciation of beauty and excellence, so which have a huge influence on what you... Um, appreciate and what you aspire, what your wishes and aims for, so what you are striving for, and that is really close to your aspiration. Mm-hmm. Mm, we've talked a bit about what you can do to improve it already. Um, for example, gratitude, that to focus on gratitude. I think there are those which is quite common in, well, I feel like it's quite common for people to now use gratitude journals or things like that. Are there other tools you can do, which I really attend? Like when you would talk to a person who says, hey, what can I do to improve my well-being, my gratitude, my whatever? Um, is there anything what comes to mind first? Uh, with respect to gratitude, two improved um, interventions come to my mind. First of all, there's the three good things intervention where you like, in a classical gratitude journal, um, write down which things you are grateful for. You can do it either each day or once a week. There's disagreement what is more effective, but just assume that you start doing that. But when you don't stop, you not just write down what you are grateful for, but also um, why you are grateful for for that and um, how this happens. Maybe you even contribute to make it happen. Then you can also think about... Um, what fur, um, future implications this can have. For instance, if I'm great, um, thankful for having met with friends, um, um, then I can think about, oh, yeah, and we can just meet next week again. I just have to contact them and reach mm-hmm. out so that you realize that um, it's not just a one-time thing that goes away, but that you can have it um, several times in your life. So it's kind of making it more part of your everyday thinking in a way as well. Um, yes, what, that is one aspect, but also that you switch it from being a passive thing that you receive, like I am mm-hmm. grateful for, that you make it active and realize that you can have an influence upon it too. Mm-hmm. I think I've also once um, read 
that when you, for example, want to say that you're grateful for the fact that the sun was shining after a week of rain, which happens quite a lot in Osnabrück. So um, I think the feeling of being happy about having sunshine again is something at least the three of us know. And I've heard that when you then write, I really liked how the sun felt, or I felt, felt really great, great, grateful for the warmth, feeling of warmth on my skin and for people being more happy that this can also have a greater effect than just saying, I'm grateful that the sun was shining today. Do you know anything about that? Is, or is that um, something that came up in your research as well? Or It didn't came up, but I would say it goes in a similar vein when we, mm. if we got things that I mentioned that you, and you should also be careful on not just making it a routine, like brushing your tooth, like not just writing down three things and then it's done, but mm -hmm. really think about why am I grateful for and am I really still grateful for that? Because mm -hmm. that's the point that um, routines are really great and but we need to be careful that we still want to do them and um, feel like we're doing it with an intrinsic motivation mm -hmm. and not that the routine's controlling us in a way. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a task to do, but something where I benefit from. Yes. Yeah. Okay, and are there any other interventions people can do? Uh, yes, I mentioned at the beginning that there are two things come to my mind with respect to gratitude. The second one is called the gratitude letter, where you um, actually physically write down on a piece of paper to a person which did something for you and you are grateful for it, um, what the person did and that you are indeed grateful for it. And at best, you just knock to the people's door and read the letter out aloud. You can also actually send it. And that has not just for you a positive effect, but of course also for the people receiving it. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I just did this and tested it myself as with many of the interventions because I'm curious and there's no harm in doing it. Um, and I sent this such a letter to my grandmother and she was really happy about it and she actually like... Um, put it on her wall and now she sometimes when she called me and oh yeah I have your letter here and when I read it I'm still happy so it's um, also about showing um, gratitude that it can have a spillover effect on other people. Yeah that's really that's really sweet actually because uh, I was just thinking sometimes I when I receive a really um, nice text message uh, in any kind of chat I also screenshot it or mark it with a star. So especially yeah. when, I have an, when I'm having a bad day that I can kind of read those positive yeah, um, that's a nice idea. things. Um, but I also feel like when I would write a letter of gratitude to a person, I don't know that much. So for example, when I kind of am grateful for a person where I don't really have the feeling that the um, relation we have is in the right way to send the person a letter. For example, I don't know, it was a person um, that helped me once, but we don't really have contact that much. Would it also improve my own personal well-being to just write this letter to get into the feeling but not send it? Um, two things again. Yes, it would. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't send it, it has an um, influence on you. Just Then it's more similar to the journal thing, but it mm -hmm. still is bit different and it will have an influence on yourself 
And second, that is, is actually not that rare that people have this concern, like, yeah, I, I could reach out to a person, but it is probably weird for them or in a similar vein that, oh, I could um, offer mental support, but I don't know the person well enough, so I'm not helpful and I shouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And actually, that's... Uh, in most cases, these concerns are not validated and you could still do it. Mm -hmm. Like, just think about when you would um, get such a letter from a person you don't know that well. Would you say, okay, that's weird, why have a person sent it? Or would you just read it and say, oh, that's actually quite nice, I didn't expect that. I think my very first thought would be, why are they, are they sending a letter to me? And I would be like, <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> But I think after reading the letter, I would be, I would kind of feel especially surprised in a positive way. But I feel like the first shock would still be there for me personally. <laughs> yeah, okay. But you would say that afterwards you would have like, it would have a positive influence yes, it on you. Yes, definitely so, have yeah. a positive <laughs> effect. Yeah, when it's maybe um, related to another um, often used intervention called random acts of kindness. Mm -hmm. where you um, do yeah, random acts of kindness, basically. And the mm -hmm. important thing is that the acts shouldn't be random to you, but be random to the receiver. Okay, so, what could be a random uh, act of kindness? Um, yeah, maybe it's easier to say what it not should be. Like if, you're, if someone stumbles and you help them staying up, that might be random for you because you didn't expect the person to stumble in the first case, mm -hmm. but it wouldn't be random for the receiver because mm. it totally mm -hmm. makes sense in that uh, situation and it's some probably something you would have do either way just because it's what you should do in such a situation. And also maybe so, it's kind of a reflex to help a person when they're falling down and to kind of react in a way. Exactly. So that's not a random act of kindness. A random act of kindness would be to um, uh, maybe buy flowers for your neighbors and then mm -hmm. um, put them to their doors with a, a short note, flowers just to make the day a bit nicer or you don't even have to write a note. Yeah, actually, my, uh, both my flatmates, we kind of had this habit some time ago, we still sometimes do it where we have small notes and just put it on the door of the other person. And it's always really nice when you get a note because you're not expecting someone to give yeah. you a note with, for example, a cat having its paws up and saying hugs below. But it's, yeah. it's really nice because you feel like really appreciated because it's something personal. You did not expect it. It totally makes sense that this can really improve the well-being of the receiver. But does it also improve the well-being of the sender? Yes, it does. Um like it's not really it's hard to say why it's just a correlation that one definitely see mm -hmm. um, and i would assume personally that it is because you have the, that i have the assumption that people are um, socially um, human beings and connected so we care about what other people's and not only think about us, but also how they behave. Mm -hmm. And the knowledge of, oh, I have done something which helped other people give yourself a good feeling. Mm -hmm. And also I would personally maybe think in the direction of that when I do a random act of kindness, it would usually be for a person I care about. And kind of knowing that this person is a bit happier also makes me happy again. Mm, that may be, but it also works on persons you don't know at all and have no connection to. Yeah, yeah, true. I was just thinking when people smile at you or you smile at people and they kind of smile back, that's also 
yeah kind of can make you feel really happy and it's mm -hmm. also a small act of kindness in the way isn't it yeah i would say that can be seen as a small act of kindness when we talked about interventions if i recall correctly you specifically mentioned them in context especially like the gratitude letter and gratitude journal you specifically mentioned with regards to life satisfaction um, but as you said like well-being is probably made up of multiple different factors is there an easy way for someone getting into the field of knowing when to apply the right intervention or what parts to improve or is there not an easy way to to understand your own well-being I would say there is no easy way to understand his own well-being. I'm sorry for that. Um, because first of all, you would need to decide what for you is your well-being. So what are the parts which are important for you in life? Um, where do you maybe feel intuitively like, oh yeah, um, just hearing about what we say, I don't have that many positive emotions. Or maybe you realize, oh, I have quite a bunch of negative emotions. Um, or other things which are often covered by the eudaimonic part, which is a bit more messy, is um, having a purpose or meaning in life, um, or having um, a thing called flow, where you are just the best version of yourself and are completely in the moment. So um, all those things um, we talked um, before um, probably have an effect, even if you don't think, oh, I need more gratitude in my life. But, of course, it would be um, better if you know what you want to improve or where you may be. You don't need the feeling of improvement, but just, oh, I'm curious about that, I want to try that out. Um, that's the nice thing, like, it's somehow proven that the things you wanted to try out actually works best for you. So if you stumble upon um, multiple um, ideas, what you could do, I would recommend to just go for what is intrinsically most appealing to you. All right. So it's just like it needs a bit of introspection in order for me to find an effective intervention for myself. Yes. Mm, are there any studies where they, are you aware of any studies where they kind of force people to do things? Is there a negative effect on it? Because I could imagine for myself, I know myself as a person, that when people tell me, now you have to do that, that's good for you, I'm like, I don't really want to do that. Do you, are you aware of any correlations in that regard? I'm not directly aware of any studies, but maybe it relates to the chasing happiness phenomena you often perceive. And can you explain that? Um, that the more you want to be happy and the more you actively try, sometimes it backfires. Mm -hmm. Because then it's like, oh, I have to be happy just right now. This is like the moment I've worked to for months. I have mm. to enjoy it now. Um, that didn't work. There's like in a smaller scale, um, it's about savoring. Savoring is in a nutshell that you um, try to just enjoy the moment and the yeah, smaller things in life. For instance, mm -hmm. if you have like a nice ice cream, you might just enjoy that. And it's not something too big, not too important, but it's still nice and you're happy. Mm -hmm. But in the moment where you realize, oh, yeah, I eat ice cream, now I have to be happy, you're not. Yeah, so then again, it's a task you have to do. Exactly. The other direction sounds a bit like just awareness, just to be aware of things and of yourself. Yeah, like mindfulness in general is a huge topic also in the well-being research. So 
That is definitely a thing. Mm, is there anything people can do or what is there people can do to improve kind of the awareness for small things? Are you aware of anything in regard or in relation to well-being? I'm not too deep into that topic, but oh, okay. I think that there are many meditations or guided audio tracks where you can just look it up and try those out. Mm -hmm. We've talked about how we can improve well-being, but like in order to say that well-being has improved, we, at least in science, also want to be able to measure it to some degree. Um, like measure it in, it, it's hard to measure a feeling or to measure a state which is really personal. Um, How is that done in science? I would say most times it is done by asking the participants. Mm -hmm. um, classically, you have a scale from maybe zero to ten, and then you ask them before and afterwards how yeah, happy are you, how satisfied with life, whatever you want to measure, and just take their personal weighting as measurement. Mm -hmm. Because the, um, you can criticize it now that, okay, but that's subjectively, But the thing they would say to you is then, yeah, but the thing we want to improve is also subjectively. Mm, so yes. there's not that sort of a problem with that. And it's a bit different than from physics, where it would be a huge problem to just um, have an like, maybe diet where people want to lose weight and ask them before and afterwards, what do you feel? How much weight do you weight at the moment? That would be much more problematic, just asking them for a subjective measurement. Mm -hmm. But where the goal is not to... And, um, address something subjective but something objective mm -hmm. and with most of the uh, um, yeah, well-being stuff you want to address something rather subjective mm -hmm. but that's also a huge debate and there's a you can say there's a whole bunch of science on its own just for how to measure it yeah especially also when it's not um, longer on the personal scale but on a societal scale and when it comes to politic interventions and There are many um, discussions and ideas how one can do that and aims to make it more objective. But I'm also sadly not too deep into that. But yeah, there are things going on. And if you're interested, you can try and um, to understand them and look them up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> When we measure subjective well-being or anything, um, then on the high end of the scale, I have like some intuition that it's like you are happy or you're doing fine you have high well-being but on the lower end of the of the scale is there like is it just that you are unwell or is there like some kind of diagnosis that there is some kind of disease or what, what is the what is the opposite of, of well-being um, i'm not sure whether that's like officially thing but in my mind um Uh, it's really two distinct things for being um, having a diagnosis and being like psychological ill and being well being and having a high well being. In my mind, you can theoretically have both things at the same time. So I would say the opposite of being well is just not being well. Okay, yeah, makes makes sense. But what would this then be? Well, like, what? How would you measure being unwell? Because, for example, for well-being, we said that you can or that you can improve it by gratitude letters, by small acts of kindness, for example. But is there anything like what you, should you not do to, if you want to have better well-being? So, what would decrease your well-being? 
I mean, there are a lot of correlations which are known to be unhealthy, just don't doing any physical activity, uh, being sleep deprived, um, misusing uh, drugs and uh, stuff like that, just having a bunch of stress um, are all related to um, low well-being, but um, I'm not aware of any like official guidelines and 10 things you shouldn't do to have a high well-being. <laughs> so, I mean, there's probably something out there, no doubt, but um, I didn't stumble upon that. Yeah, I think it's also like... Um the brain can't really process a no, so it's more um, effort for a brain to always be like, don't think of the pink elephant. It's easier yeah. to say, well, think of a purple hammer now, for example. Yeah, I just wanted to mention something like that too. Like, it's not even useful to have, oh, I shouldn't do this right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and another thing I wanted to mention is that it's not always about improvement when it comes to well-being. Um, we talked before that it's about awareness and one maybe important aspect is that you want to be aware about yourself and uh, one typical approach which is the, um, started also in the um, therapy is that you talk about the strengths of a patient mm -hmm. and that's but of course not anything um, intrinsic related to therapy everyone can do it just think about what are my personal strengths mm -hmm. um, you can just do it without any guideline if you want to have a somehow agreed scientific guideline I would recommend the 24 character strengths from the um, VIA Institute mm -hmm. and um, they have multiple um, free versions of a um, strength test where you I think in the end they weighed all the 24 strengths and then say you in percentage how good you are about them. I wouldn't do that, take that as an absolute measurement, but you can um, take it as a like first impression or glimpse on what um, might be your strengths. And you can also just ask your friends and family to mm, name yeah. your strengths. Um, sometimes they even react a bit weird like I did that and People are surprisingly less uh, surprised upon that, but probably because all of them know that I'm into that field. Yes. And I've maybe also a bit tested other interventions um, <laughs> in my personal uh, circumstances. So you could say that they're used to it and now not, are not anymore like, okay, what is she doing? But more like, okay, yeah, just go for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's really nice to hear from other people what they consider as your strengths. And sometimes it's also surprisingly because you are, oh, I wouldn't even have thinked upon that either because it's so natural to you that you didn't yeah. realize that it's something other people don't have. Mm -hmm. Or on the other hand, because you feel like, oh, it's nice that people see that. I don't see that in me. Mm -hmm. And um, just through thinking upon how other people see you and how you think about their, um, you know, like... Uh, characteristics upon you give you new insight about yourself yes because yes. for me there's also a differentiation between strengths which come naturally to me um, for me that's for instance curiosity I'm curious mm -hmm. by heart but there are also strengths which I want to have and that I somehow manage to have but I have to do something for it mm -hmm. yes and then you kind of get the feed or when you get the feedback that people realize that you have this strength that's really good feedback for you as well isn't yes. it yes yeah you have done this um well intervention or this experiment myself as well 
I just thought about while you talked about feedback you got about what was most surprising for me. And I think it was for me personally, there were was some feedback that I thought like, well, yeah, I might have that, but I'm really insecure about whether mm -hmm. I have it or not. And I've asked like five or six people. So I've asked a bunch uh, independently. And in most cases, people said, that's the strength of you. And I was like, oh, really? Okay, interesting. I, I've never considered that. And it's like there we come to the point of um, outer perception. How So how does another person perceive me and how do I myself perceive me? And kind of where's the mismatch maybe and also kind of corrects this mismatch we might have about ourselves which also then again improves how we might see ourselves mm, yes i would agree on that <laughs> <laughs> are there any other factors apart from things that i can actively control that um that somehow have an influence on my on my overall well-being. So, for example, like many of these measures somehow vary across a lifespan of a person. So are there any um, experiments that you are aware of that measured that across like the life and it somehow found a correlation between the age and your subjective well-being? Mm, yeah, there are a lot of such studies. Like one thing is that there's a really influential um, study from Sonia Leomon-Bomirsky. I'm sorry if I mispronounced um, that name. It's a tough one. Um, which part of it has the happiness pie chart, which says that 50% of our happiness, which in this case can be seen as well-being overall, is made up by our genes. So yes, there are definitely things that we can't influence because, sorry, you can't choose your genes. And there's a lot about research upon uh, how many, how much influence our genes has, and it is quite a lot. Um, but yeah, there's of course disagreement about the concrete numbers, but each year there are new studies upon which parts of genes might influence which aspects of happiness and so on. If someone's interested into that, I can recommend the World Happiness Reports. They often have such findings, and other things you mentioned that with respect to age, there are factors that change, um, but I'm not sure exactly about what, but also um, it's about what people value. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, but I'm not familiar with the details. Uh, for the pie chart you just mentioned, you said that 50% is um, determined by our genes or by genetics. Are the other 50% a whole or a single topic or is it split again? Uh, no, when there are 10% which are about um, our like life circumstances, did I win in a lottery or mm -hmm. did I just broke my leg and stuff like that. And people are always surprised, wait, what? This are just 10% my mm -hmm. out of circumstances? That's why the um, study got so popular. Um, and also that the other 40% roughly are about what we just talked about, about mm -hmm. your, how you and a person, like your mindset, you can say, um, how you handle things and um, what are your ambitions and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But um, don't um, tackle me down to the concrete numbers or the concrete uh, terms. It's a while since I've read that paper. Yeah, yeah sure. But like we can conclude that about 30% is what we can actively influence. 10% is maybe what happens right now. So like 
um, surprising factors that can be positive or negative, and 50% are something that is something we can't really influence. But then again, we could argue because there's also this thing that we can, in a way, influence our genes. And so it's, again, it's really a thing of, well, we can influence at least 40% according to this pie chart, which is good. And it's uh, kind of giving you positive feedback that when you're not doing well, you can definitely influence a large amount of your well-being. And you're not fully determined by like how your family is um, composed of. So when you look at genes, it's often that people, for example, would say, well, depression runs in this family, for example, or this and this runs in this family. So it's quite a high chance that people might struggle with similar um, genes or similar um, predispositions. But then again, there's quite a large um, thing we can influence ourselves. Yes, and that's also what was one of the main aims of this paper. Like, you have to see it in context. It was one of the earliest paper in the positive psychology realms, mm -hmm. and it wasn't about the numbers. It just wanted to show that, yes, of course, there is something about the genes, but there's still something we can influence, and we have shown one intervention to actually do so. Mm -hmm. So you shouldn't read it as, oh, yeah, these are the numbers and um, concrete percentages. There's also a um, recent, more recent um, article again from her where she um, addressed all the critiques which has been raised and where she just say again that it was never about the numbers, but this pie chart is such a nice visualization that it gets so popular that ah, it okay. like maybe overuse a bit the aim of the study. Because I've seen this pie chart quite often and I was always yes. like, oh wow, that's a high percentage of things I can't control, but... When you say that, it's not about the um, exact numbers, but rather about a concept in the end. Yes, exactly. I want to acknowledge that there is quite a high degree about well-being of um, like the data you see that you can explain with genes, but there's mm -hmm. still the chance to have a personal influence. And that from this personal influence, it's actually more important about your mental approach, like the mindset I've mentioned, than the outer circumstances. Mm -hmm. And this also explains why things like money don't make you happy in the long run. Yeah, also you get used to money, right? Yes, that's also a thing like the hedonic adaptation, as it calls that. Mm -hmm. um, you, we often like get used to the things we are around us. Mm -hmm. But the good thing is that we are also get used to the bad things which are around us. Mm -hmm. this, uh, this is called immune neglect, that people mm -hmm. are not aware about their like mental immune system, you can call it. That you get used to it and that people who are paralyzed after an accident are not that um, like really unhappy in the long run. Of course, after the accident, they have a um, high decrease um, into their well-being, but they um, learn to cope with it. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, see new chances and things they can do in life and so adapt with it. Mm -hmm. I think that's also one of the amazing things um, of human beings in general, because like we have to be able to adapt to changes and to kind of make the best out of it. Um, and I feel like it's more about how good you are in adapting to new circumstances rather than kind of being always super happy because you can't always be super happy. You can't always be grateful for your life. You can't always be, say, well, I'm 
doing really well, but you can always kind of see, okay, what can I do now to improve it a bit when I'm in a tough situation, right? Yes. Yeah. That somehow makes sense, yeah. Um, are there other things apart from the well-being itself that improve in a correlation with it? So is there, if I can say, like, I'm not really interested in well-being, I'm not sure why, why you would say that, but are there other effects of well-being that are positive to your overall life? Um, because as you said, like, uh, when you mentioned that being sleep-deprived could decrease your well-being, does the inverse also hold, like, if you are very well, that you sleep better, or...? Well, surprisingly, there's research upon that topic. Like, I wanted to have a paper upon that for one of my seminars, and I was really surprised that um, to that time I found nothing to really few paper upon that. So it's agreed that um, sleep is important for well-being, but there's, I think there's less, um, few literature you can base that upon. Um, and besides sleep, it's also uh, physical activity, which is known to be beneficial for well-being. And this is also a like, um, two-way um, relationship, but it also goes the other way that if you're more well, you're usually also better um, on a physical health perspective. Um, interpersonal relationships are also really important. You can treat that as a yeah, thing worth on its own. Um, having like healthy eating habits it co goes along with um, physical health, but physical health can be seen as physical activity and also upon um, having good eating habits. Um, yeah, these are the things that come spontaneously to my mind, but there are probably more. And when you were able to increase your well-being, do you get any kind of positive outcome? Like, for example... When I imagine that um, my well-being increases, I might be more positive in general, may more optimistic, maybe take more chances and maybe get better outcomes. Is there any kind of research on that? Do you know that? Um, yes, there's quite a lot of research upon that. Mm -hmm. um, for one realm, there it's, there's a lot of research about the productivity about employees. Mm -hmm. And it is shown that having a higher well-being leads to more productivity and thus is great for the company. This research, of course, also exists so that it is like valid to have such interventions on companies and that you, um, yeah, just for that. Um, it's also, I think, shown that not directly upon well-being overall, but on um, like components, for instance, having a purpose in life um, increases your longevity. Um, like how old you get. Um, and was, um, besides that, all the things I just mentioned before, it's usually all, always um, considered to be a two-way relationship. So mm -hmm. that, um, the more well you are, the better your relationships are, the better your relationships are, the higher your well-being. So um, all the things which can be treated as sources for well-being can also be seen as outcomes for well-being. Mm -hmm. And that's also why it is a bit messy in this field sometimes, because you really have to be careful in a study. What do you consider as being cause or correlation to what? Mm, yeah. And it's hard to distinguish that sometimes. Yeah, like in the, taking it out of the uh, research context, you could also maybe say that 
it's a positive upward spiral. Yes. Like, for example, like we often talk about this negative downward spiral when things are going bad, that it just gets bad, worse and worse and worse. And But then again, when you say that the um, thing that is improving well-being is also the outcome, in some parts at least, then it's like positive upward spiral, right? Yes, that's um, also what Barbara Fredrickson um, suggested in her um, coordinate build theory, mm -hmm. that if we have positive emotions, we get more open-minded, a bunch of positive things happens, and because of that, we have more positive emotions, and so on and so forth. So yeah, that is definitely a thing. That sounds really, really, really relieving to me, because then I think, I think when you have a whole bunch of work to do to improve your well-being. It can appear like a hill you can't, can never get up. But when kind of it gets easier as you go, then it might motivate people a bit more to start improving their well-being by tiny bits, then get a bit better outcome, then again improving it a bit more, get a better outcome, and kind of going up bit by bit. Yes, and that's also... Maybe one thing I've mentioned earlier that you should always keep in mind what you want to have. Like if you want to improve a subjective thing, then you should a bit like listen to yourself. And if it feels too like, oh, there's too much things I should do now. Like there is, even if they say, yeah, it's just 20 minutes a day you should do. If you feel that the 20 minutes are too much for you to do each day, then don't do it because of the chances that the perceived stress you have from that exercise likely are more than the potential benefits you have and if you don't believe in a way and that it will help you I mean there are also um, exercises shown to be beneficial even if you don't believe at them mm -hmm. but it's much more efficient if you actually do so so just listen to yourself what do you think would actually benefit you and don't see it as oh this is additional work I have to do each day yeah So kind of estimate the cost it has for you. Yes. We always try to put the topics we have on this podcast into like the cognitive science perspective or find out uh, where it is best placed or you know, what the um, angle is that most people look at it. And uh, I would imagine that in this case, as you said, like there are positive psychology interventions that it's like, very heavily on the psychology side, but are there other fields of cognitive science that really play into this topic or is psychology the only one? Uh, there are definitely other science playing into it. Um, I'm not even sure whether I would say that psychology has the um, largest part of it. It's this just in the talk because I first stumbled upon positive psychology in the context of um, well-being research, thus I'm more knowledgeable than in the other fields. But that's also the great thing about cognitive science and also um, especially when it comes to well-being for me, that it has so many perspectives and especially such a holistic thing as well-being. I think it's not um, yeah, useful to say to just look at it from one lens. Um, we briefly talked that there are also um, genetics um, playing a role, so the biological or neurobiological components definitely also play a role. You can start upon defining well-being, looking about uh, philosophers, what have they say. Um, for instance, Aristotle um, can be seen as founding father about the eudaimonic approach 
Um, and the same holds for the hedonic um, definitions. So philosophy is really important. Of course, you need the methods of cognitive science like statistics to do like any science, basically. Um, when it comes to application, you can see the connection to uh, computer science and potentially artificial intelligence. So I would say it's really, um, yeah, compasses most of the fields relevant to cognitive science. Nice. And also neurobiology, I don't know, you didn't mention neurobiology, did you? Um, I think, but it's, it's, okay, it's definitely a part. If I don't, I wanted to think. Okay. Um, yeah, I might have missed that as well. Uh, might just be my bad. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, we've talked about the genes, but it's also about neurobiology in particular and with respect to what hormones and neurotransmitter, um, yeah, have what influence. Yeah. After hearing all of that, do you have like a take-home message or something that you would like to uh, give our listeners um, yeah, that they take from hearing this episode? Yeah, I don't want to say that I can say people what they should take home or take from this podcast. But maybe a thing is that there's no agreed um, definition of well-being. There are some parts where seems to converge but that this is not that important maybe because even if you don't have an agreed um, definition it is shown that you as yourself can influence your well-being and that there are multiple um, interventions which you can just follow and um, maybe incorporate some of them in your daily habits in the long term and to yeah. Thank you. Okay, with that being said, thank you very much for being here today, for taking time talking to us, to explaining what well-being is a bit, or making it a bit more graspable maybe, and for giving us small things we can change to improve our well-being. Yeah, really, um was a pleasure to be here, and thanks for having me. I hope that like, just my piece of knowledge helps someone or just... Um, makes them more curious about the topic. In this episode, we've heard about a couple of references, for example, the 24 character strengths, which can be found on the wirecorrector.org website. The paper on eudaimonic and subjective well-being was written by Matella and Sheldon in 2019 and is called Clarifying the Concept of Well-being, Psychological Need Satisfaction as the Common Core Connecting eudaimonic and subjective well-being. The two papers mentioned on the pie chart of well-being were published by Sonia Libamovsky and Canon Sheldon. The first one was published in 2005 and is called Pursuing Happiness, the Architecture of Sustainable Change. It was revisited in 2021 and is called Revisiting the Sustainable Happiness Model and Pie Chart. Can happiness be successfully pursued? And the paper on the measurement of subjective well-being was published by Diener in 27 and is called Guidelines for National Indicators of Subjective Well-Being and Ill-Being. As always, all the references can be found in the credits. Before we roll the credits, we'd like to inform you about the Coxie Space Day. This is an event happening on the 18th of November 2023. On the Coxie Space Day, you can meet us as the makers of the podcast, but also connect to other fellow cognitive science students and alumni. There will be a lot of different booths, fun workshops and some exciting surprises. The Coxie Space Day will be the perfect spot to get in touch 
connect and find orientation in the whole universe of possibilities in cognitive science. You can register on www.coxiespace.de that's C-O-G-S-C-I-S-P-A-C-E dot D-E. We hope to see you there. When you enjoy listening to us, the best way to support us is by following us on your chosen podcast app. This could either be Google Podcast, Spotify, or Apple Podcast. Another good way to support us is by following our Instagram account, which is called kaleidoscience underscore pod. On our Instagram account, you will also get regular information on the next episode. Thanks a lot for supporting us. This was Kaleidoscience, hosted by Elisa Palme and Sönke Löw. Produced by Alina Ohnesorge, Elisa Palme, Sönke Löw and Sophie Kühne. Produced in collaboration with the Cognitive Science Student Journal. The music was produced by Jan Lukas Schröder. The logo was designed by Annika Richter. Thank you for listening and joining us on our journey through conversations on cognitive science.